0: Hey, everyone. Welcome to Grace Community Church of Willow Street's podcast. If you have any questions or want to learn how to be more engaged with our church, check us out online at gccws.net, or you can connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy today's message, and we are praying that it leads you into a growing relationship with Jesus. Thank you, Jeremy. And uh, we certainly thank you, Grace Community Church. It also, I caught wind. I don't know which one of the pastors has this, but I did catch wind that there are three dozen cookies somewhere that one pastor was given. And I just pray that Mike gives them to the rest of us. I mean, did I say that it was Mike? I might note that I didn't know that I got three dozen cookies. Someone said to me they gave you cookies. And uh just just want to point that out. Those are the ones I <laughs> If you didn't know, he said he already ate them. So anyway, this month is an exciting month for us because we at Grace Community Church have begun uh, partnerships with two other congregations in Conestoga and Peckway, and we are excited this month to be praying specifically for those congregations and particularly lifting up specific needs each week that those congregations have uh, taught told us about, or praises that they would have. And so as we pray together as a family, we're going to pray for our partnering churches. And uh, would you join me now in a time of prayer? Father, we thank you that we have the awesome privilege to come before a holy God. That, Lord, we do not worship just because it's something to do. We worship because you've created us to, to sing your praises, to acknowledge the worth that you are and how worthy you are, Lord. How worthy are you to be praised among your people? And Lord, if we do not sing your praises, your word says that the rocks would cry out. How embarrassing would that be, Lord? That the creation would have to worship because we would not. So Father, I pray that as we gather here corporately, that even in our hearts privately throughout the week, We would worship you and acknowledge how great you are. Lord, because we know what your word says. That you want every tongue to confess and every knee to bow to the name of your son, Jesus Christ. And ultimately, one day, everyone will. But Father, it is our prayer and our hope that while people are alive, that they will bow and confess the name of Jesus Christ To spend eternity with him. What a reward. So Father, we turn our attention to Conestoga. And Lord, we thank you for the unity that is there amongst that body. And we pray, Lord, as they come to a strategic vote on October the 16th. As the congregation comes together to consider the renovation projects for the fellowship hall. And the children's area and the nursery area. That, Lord, as that facelift is being brought before the congregation for a vote, that, Father, that there would be unity there as you and your Son and your Spirit are one. That, Lord, ultimately you would receive glory. That, Father, the decision that is made would be a decision that you would want us to make. That, Father, we would ultimately see that as a result of that moment, that, Lord, people would come to know and follow Jesus Christ. That we'd realize that the decisions we make, ultimately, Lord, we want them to be your will, not ours. So, Father, we pray for that unity, and we turn also our attention to Peckway. Under the leadership of Pastor Jesse, Lord, we thank you for the good outreach ministries that have happened. We thank you for the movie nights that have occurred, and the last one, nearly 70 people showed up. Father, we thank you for that, that as a result of that, we saw families come to church the very next Sunday with children in the children's area. Lord, we praise you for that. We ask, Lord, that you would continue to enhance the outreach arms of Peckway EC and that people would begin in that area to continue to recognize that church and see it as a gospel centered community where they know they can be loved and cared for. Father, we thank you for the good work you're doing in Conestoga and the good work you're doing in Peckway. We thank you for those in this congregation who have decided to partner with those churches specifically. May you bless them, Lord. Now Lord, we turn our attention this morning to your word. We thank you, Father, for your word, that we have it, that we get to read it, that we get to know more about you. Ask, Lord, that you would be with Pastor Mike as he comes to open up the word of God and talk to us specifically about government. Father, that our hearts and minds would be open this morning would be, it would seem like a great task to ask, but Lord, I pray that you would help us to focus in, that our hearts would be humbled before your word and that we would pay close attention to what you have to say. Father, we thank you. In the strong name of Jesus, amen. I'd ask you this morning to open up to Ecclesiastes chapter eight. I'll be reading verses two through six. And then we're also gonna turn to the New Testament and read from Romans chapter 13, verses one through seven. This morning, I'll be reading two passages, Ecclesiastes chapter eight, verses two through six, and Romans chapter 13, verses one through seven. Hear the word of the Lord. Ecclesiastes chapter 8, beginning in verse 2. Obey the king, since you vowed to God that you would. Don't try to avoid doing your duty, and don't stand with those who plot evil. For the king can do whatever he wants. His command is backed by great power. No one can resist or question it. Those who obey him will not be punished. Those who are wise will find a time and a way to do what is right. For there is a time and a way for everything, even when a person is in trouble. And now I ask you to turn to Romans chapter 13. We'll be reading verses 1 through 7. Everyone must submit to governing authorities. For all authority comes from God, and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. God. So anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and they will be punished. For the authorities do not strike fear in people who are doing right, but in those who are doing wrong. Would you like to live without fear of authorities? Do what is right, and they will honor you. The authorities are God's servants sent for your good. But if you are doing wrong, of course you should be afraid. For they have the power to punish you. They are God's servants sent for the very purpose of punishing those who do what is wrong. So you must submit to them, not only to avoid punishment, but also to keep a clear conscience. Pay your taxes too for these same reasons. For government workers need to be paid. They are serving God in what they do. Give to everyone what you owe them. Pay your taxes and government fees to those who collect them and give respect and honor to those who are in authority praise be the reading of god's word
1: thank you paul if you are visiting with us for the first time today you should know that we are in the midst of a series of sermons from the old testament book of ecclesiastes and actually this is sermon number five of six sermons so next week We'll focus on the chapter in this book that everybody knows, and that's Ecclesiastes chapter three as we talk about the time of our lives. But we've been working our way through Ecclesiastes theme by theme, topic by topic, and our purpose has really been to give you some tools To help unlock and personally read and study the book of Ecclesiastes. It's not the most easy book to read. It it can be at times frustrating, I understand that. And so often even in the Bible reading plans that we have, we kind of motor through Ecclesiastes unsure of what we read. And I can tell you that Bible scholars will also say that when it comes to translating from the original language of Hebrew that this is one of the toughest books to translate because there are several options and no one's quite sure which one is the right one because it's a 3000 year old book. But we have before us a, a book inspired by the spirit of God with solid teaching for our lives. We studied humanism as we opened this study. Then we studied hedonism, trying to find purpose and meaning in life. We studied the unanswered questions of life and how life can be so confusing at times. And last week, we looked at religion as Solomon unpacked it for us in Ecclesiastes chapter five and asked the question, can we find meaning and purpose in religion? And we found out that God doesn't want our religion, he wants us. He doesn't want our religious acts, He wants every one of us. So today, we turn to a topic that is referred to multiple times in the book of Ecclesiastes and concentrated in Ecclesiastes chapter 8, and that is the topic of government. Not politics, but government. I love how humorous Will Rogers once said, it's a good thing we don't get all the government that we pay for. And isn't that true? It certainly is a good thing we don't get all the government we pay for. I have to tell you that... um, that I was a little frustrated with government earlier this week as I received back from the IRS my Aunt Janet's final tax return because I'm the executor of her estate. And they sent it back with a checklist telling me all the things that I didn't include in the first mailing and how the 1099s that I didn't include and the short certificate showing that I'm the executor of the estate. They sent it back. They had everything stapled together, including all the 1099s that I had sent and the short certificate that did show that I was the executor of the estate. And and I called the accountant and I said, what do you think I should do? He said, make more copies of all those things and put them back in and write a note and say, here's the first copy and here's the second copy and I hope this is enough. And I have to say to you, I may or may not have been heard saying as I walked out of the Strasbourg Post Office, paying for the tracking costs on that mailing, I may or may not have said, I just wish the government would get their act together. I may or may not have said that. I don't have a record of it, but I have a memory of it. And I wonder, has any of you ever said that in any setting whatsoever? Just raise your hand if you have said it. Look at that. Look. Oh my goodness. Look at that there. are Yeah, a lot of you have said that. I just wish the government would get their act together. The relationship between the United States government and its citizens has actually seen a dramatic decline since the year 2000. The most recent polls within this year, conducted by the Partnership for Public Service and the Pew Foundation, show that only 50%, that actually 56% of Americans do not trust the government much or at all. That only 40% of Americans say that they trust the government a lot or somewhat. When the Pew Foundation drilled down on those statistics, they found that only 21 percent of Americans actually have a high level of trust for the government. Now those statistics did not surprise me. They probably don't surprise you, because we see what's happening within our culture today, and we've actually seen it for many years and even decades. They don't surprise me, but they do make me very sad. They make me very sad because I don't believe that that is God's will and God's plan for us and for our government. For me, the question is always, what, if any, impact should my Christian faith have on my relationship and attitude toward the government? What does God expect of me? How should I live my life, both as a citizen of these United States and also a citizen of heaven? Solomon has something to say about that as he wrestles with the meaning and purpose of life. As I've already said, he's addressed the meaning and purpose of life from the perspective of humanism, hedonism, wisdom, money, toil, religion, and today, government. So, Solomon, what do you think about government? Is it good, bad, or ugly? And what is my responsibility as a Christian and also as an American? Now, as we dig into Ecclesiastes chapter 8 to discover the heart of Solomon's teaching on matters relating to government, you should also know that Romans chapter 13 that was just read by Pastor Paul is almost a mirror reflection in thought and dynamic of Ecclesiastes chapter 8. And you shouldn't be surprised by that because, yes, I understand that Ecclesiastes was authored by Solomon and Romans was authored by Paul, and I understand that they were about a 1,000 years apart, These are two different authors. But I also understand this. There really is only one author of Scripture, right? He is God the Holy Spirit. He has inspired the entire text of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. So it shouldn't surprise us 3,000 years later that Solomon is writing something that 1,000 years after him would also be written in different language for a different culture by one whose name is the Apostle Paul. And so today it's important that we begin begin where Solomon implies and Paul very clearly explains in Romans 13 verse one, the importance of government. This is what Paul writes. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Which is then why Solomon boldly asserts in Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 2, Obey the king's command, I say. I want you to notice in Romans chapter 13 that government is God's idea. It is his creation. This is what's so interesting about our God. He is powerful in every way. He alone is king. He sits enthroned in heaven. He actually created everything that exists. Then he delegated governmental authority to earthly governments and earthly rulers. You understand that, don't you? He delegated governmental authority to earthly governments and earthly rulers. That is the work of God. And and so often our politics is a test of our belief in the sovereignty of God. Do we truly believe that God is in control? Even though when we look around us in the world, we see so much that is out of control. Do we in the eternal spectrum of things truly believe that our God is a sovereign God, high and lifted up, King and Lord over the universe? If you believe that, can you say amen? Do we believe that? that God truly is sovereign over all. And therefore, God expects us to obey our government. In Mark chapter 12, verse 17, Jesus' enemies try their very best to lure him into a trap And and their purpose is to get him to denounce the authority of government. You might remember this story. The Herodians and the Pharisees, they were sure that they had Jesus backed into a corner. They had him where they wanted him. They can get him out of their hair. All they have to do is ask the right question. He is not going to be able to answer this question. He's going to be duped. And we are winners at the end of the day. So this is what they ask him. Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? Jesus saw right through them. He saw through their motives. He saw their evil intent. And he famously responds. You know the response, don't you? Read it with me. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. In the words of Pastor Kevin DeYoung, this is a loaded statement. It doesn't give us all the details, and it won't sort out every problem. It doesn't tell us who to vote for, but it lays the foundation for a Christian approach to politics and religion, church and state, God and government. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, And to God, what is God's? And so, to answer the question why we should obey the government, we turn back to Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 2, and we read the entire verse. And the entire verse simply says this. Obey the king's command, I say, because you took an oath before God. The first reason that we obey the government is because we are citizens who have taken an oath to obey. We choose this nation as our nation. We affirm its principles of governance. As U.S. citizens, we're expected to live in allegiance to the Constitution of these United States and the laws of our nation. And as we do, we choose to obey the government. Now, if you're here this morning and you're a naturalized citizen, you know very well what it means to take an oath of allegiance to the government because you went through a process by which you studied the Constitution, the basic framework of laws of our nation. You went to a naturalization ceremony and you actually verbally took an oath of allegiance to the United States of America. If you are not a naturalized citizen, you were born on this soil, you are a birthright American citizen. By your birth, you are expected to live as such an obedient citizen, of these United States. The second reason that we obey the government is because the government has authority to enforce obedience. Listen again to Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verses 3 and 4. I'm going to read it a little more slowly. Jenny always says that I read too fast, that I'm just kind of rushing through and people are trying to catch up three words later. So she always tells me on the way home on Saturday night, now slow it down. And I say, but I'm so excited to preach. And so I'm going to try to slow it down. I want you to listen closely as I read these verses. Don't try to avoid doing your duty. And don't stand with those who plot evil. For the king can do whatever he wants. His command is backed by great power. No one can resist or questioned it. Don't disobey. Don't intentionally join in evil, sinful, and ungodly activities that undermine law and order in our nation. Don't break the law. Why? Because according to the Bible, and by the way, today I'm teaching the Word of God. This is exactly what God teaches us in His Word. Not not a blog, and not a favorite author, and not a podcast, but the authority of the Word of God. Okay? What does the Word of God say? Well, because the government has the power to punish lawbreakers, we should be obedient to our government. The laws of the land are, as Solomon writes here, backed by great power. And God expects us to respect that power. It's the power of law enforcement. This is one of the verses that, that scholars can interpret a number of different ways in the Hebrew it all means the same kind of gives variety and some translations interpret this especially the last word the last sentence there no one can resist or question it in this way they see here um, they see someone resisting the government by saying to the government after by the way they've broken the law after they have clearly disobeyed the government they see this as someone saying to the government what are you doing holding me to account. Now, how ridiculous is that? When you break the law, when you absolutely have disobeyed the government, and the government holds you accountable, you look them in the eye and say, why are you doing that? Friends, that leads to chaos and anarchy, even at the modicum level. Uh, some of you were surprised when I told the story about being caught as a speeder in 1981, uh, getting a speeding ticket in the town of Anvil. Well, it was a hill, and I was going down the hill. And my grandfather said that you ought not to really use the brakes a lot going down hills because you have to replace your brake pads sooner than later. And and uh, I was trying to preserve the brake pads. So, you know, I got to the bottom of the hill and I got pulled over, and the police officer came up to the window. And you know, when the police officer comes up to the window, you don't look at him and say, What are you doing? why in the world would you pull me over? You know, and immediately have an attitude. You don't do that. Police officer said to me, do you know how fast you were going? I said, no, but probably over the speed limit. (laughs) It was a hunch on my part. And he said, yes, that's right. He said, you know how much? I said, no. He said, 20 miles per over the speed limit. I said, oh, sorry about that. And uh, he accepted my apology and gave me a slip of paper that indicated that he accepted my apology and that, (laughs) that, um that the borough of Anvil would also accept some money from me for my apology. So, you know, here we are years later, 41 years later. I remember it like yesterday because I could have invested that money and sent one of my girls to college. But anyway, that's okay, I digress. I don't look at an officer after I've honestly broken law and say, what are you doing? You have no right to tell me that I've broken a law. Well, yes, the government does have the right to tell us when we break laws. Paul says this in Romans chapter 13, verses four through five, the authorities are God's servants sent for your good. But if you are doing wrong, of course you should be afraid for they have the power to punish you. They are God's servants sent for the very purpose of punishing those who do what is wrong. So you must submit to them not only to avoid punishment, but also to keep a clear conscience. Government has a God-given authority to maintain order, keep the peace, enforce the laws, and administer justice. Police officers, military, and the judiciary, according to the word of God, are God's servants to ensure that the citizenry obey. When that system works according to God's design, then I can guarantee you the people are blessed. Now, there is one more thought from Ecclesiastes on this point. We should be thankful for those who enforce the law in our land because look at Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 11. It's a sobering truth. When a crime is not punished quickly, people feel it is safe to do wrong. Friends, hear me when I say this. If we live in a lawless land, then it's like field day for wrongdoing hey, do whatever feels right, it's okay. When I was traveling in the country of Pakistan a number of years ago to visit some mission workers there, I was in the province of Peshawar in northwest Pakistan. And we were being hosted by the regional minister of Peshawar. And so in one of our meetings with him, he asked the question, Is there anything I can do for you what would you like while you are here we were there for three days and I said not knowing what I was saying I said I'd like to see the Khyber Pass that's the border between Pakistan and Afghanistan I had no idea that when we left the borders of the city of Peshawar we were going into a lawless tribal territory where people do whatever they think is right in their own eyes where it is safe to do wrong because there is no one to enforce the law. So imagine my surprise when a couple hours later, he said, by the way, it will be granted. Your request will be granted. When a couple hours later, up to the, the uh, place where I was staying came two cars and two trucks with machine guns mounted on the truck beds. And that was our front guard and our rear guard And then two cars that took me and a traveling companion in two separate vehicles in case one got attacked and the other didn't. And I started thinking, do I really want to see the kyber Pass? I mean, I could look at pictures, you know, do I really want to see it? But I was already committed and off we went. And as we left and we started driving through the lawless territory, I guarantee you that it did not feel safe at all. People peering in our windows, It's when I turned to my host and I said, I hope my wife doesn't find out about this until I get back home. Because it is not safe to live in a territory where laws are not enforced. When a crime is not punished quickly, people feel like it's safe to do wrong, which is why we need to be grateful for police and military and the judiciary that enforce the laws and that's from the word of God friends that is simply the word of God thirdly the reason we obey the government is because of what Ken and Flo Sigmund taught me one time it's the right thing to do I grew up with the understanding that there's a right thing to do and a wrong thing to do and obedience to the government is the right thing to do I love how Solomon in Ecclesiastes chapter 8 verse 6 says that when you obey then harm will not come to you. Now, I am very much aware that at this point I have made such a case that some people are sitting there saying, but Mike, what about a government or a government leader who is ungodly, who is corrupt, and who is abusive? The simple answer to that is that throughout Scripture, God is neither giving absolute authority to governments nor is he calling for us to submit with blind obedience to anything the government calls us to do. Absolute authority is not given to governments, nor is he calling us to blind obedience. I want you to recall with me the saints of the Bible and how they interacted with government under which they lived. They were obedient until such time that their obedience to the government required disobedience to God. Remember Jonathan, David, Nathan, Daniel, Esther, the prophets? Do you remember the very first martyr of the Christian church? His name was Stephen. Do you remember the apostle Paul and Silas? Do you remember how the government arrested Paul and Silas, put them into prison, then released them and said, now you go out, but don't you dare preach another word about this Jesus? And do you remember what they did as soon as they got outside the prison doors? They began to preach about this Jesus. There was an intersection of government and God, and they had a choice to make. The Apostle Peter famously interacted with that intersection. And this is what he says in Acts chapter 5, verse 29. We must obey God rather than men. Friends, here is the fulfillment of what Jesus says in Mark chapter 12 when he says, give unto Caesar what is Caesar's and unto God what is God's. And the boiled down truth is simply this, our greater obedience is always to God. Our greater obedience is always to God. When Paul wrote Romans 13 under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the emperor at that time was a man named Nero. And although when Paul wrote the book of Romans, Nero was behaving himself, the Holy Spirit who inspired Romans knew that Nero wasn't going to continue to behave himself. In fact, Nero got to the point where he actually persecuted Christians by arresting them, tying them to a stake, and setting them on fire. He hated the church of Jesus Christ. And yet, the book of Romans, including Romans 13, was written during that time. So people will say, well, Paul was writing when the government was absolutely angelic in every way. That's not true. Paul was writing during a time when the government was not Christian in any sense, and the government was not behaving in a way that was pleasing to the Lord. But in Romans 13, now hear me when I say this. In Romans 13 and Ecclesiastes chapter 8, The Word of God is presenting the norm, laying down for conditions for living in a state in normal times, and not trying to cover every ungodly and abusive government possibility. There will be exceptions, and I will talk about them with you. The authority God delegates to governing authorities is not an absolute authority. God knows the hearts of sinful men and women. And he knows that when he entrusts power to sinful men and women, sinful men and women are tempted to abuse and corrupt that power. Solomon makes this point very well in verse 9 of Ecclesiastes chapter 8. Look at what he writes as he says, I thought deeply about all that goes on here under the sun. That means here on earth, where people have the power to hurt each other. Where people have the power to hurt each other. Do you know who he's referring to? He's referring to dictatorial leaders. Government leaders who abuse and corrupt the power that has been entrusted to them for the good of their people, for the care of their people, for, if you will, the shepherding of their people. And what Solomon is saying is, I've looked around and I've noticed that not every government on this earth and not every government leader on this earth is behaving according to plan, according to God's plan. And that there are those who have the power to hurt others and they do. He goes on in verses 10 through 13 to call out the injustices that he notices governments committing against their people. Ending with the injustice of a government that calls wicked people good, and good people wicked. And as he calls out all of these injustices, and as he discusses with us the reality of dictatorial power, I want to make two observations today. And the very first one is this. That grieves the heart of God. It grieves the heart of God. Listen, Putin grieves the heart of God. What he is doing to his own nation, what he is doing to To the country of ukraine that grieves the heart of god that is not god's design that is not god's plan that is a government gone awry that is a government choosing to use power in a corrupt and evil way the government of china committing egregious human rights acts against the uyghur muslims absolutely no excuse for the genocide that is taking place in the nation of China. As I left here last night, I said to Jenny, so, so any comments, any feedback? And what I said last night was it breaks my heart when I think about what governments have done in our history and I pointed to probably the most obvious example, the example of Adolf Hitler and the Holocaust or Benito Mussolini and the fascist regime in Italy. The Holocaust is one that is close to my heart because I walked through Bergen-Belsen concentration camp. I saw with my own eyes the incredible, unexplainable evil committed by humans against other humans. Why? Because one government had decided that Jews no longer deserved to live and took the lives of six million of them. That grieves the heart of God. It is a government that has chosen to take the power that God entrusts for good and use it, oh, not even for selfish reasons, for desperately evil reasons in the hearts of its citizenry. And that is why, that is why, friends, that our greater obedience is always to God. Always to God. Always. This is the truth that Solomon teaches in verses 5 through 6, and I forgot to have it put on the screen, so listen closely. Those who are wise, talking about citizens will find a time and a way to do what is right. For there is a time and way for everything, even when a person is in trouble. This is what God is saying in his word. There is a time and a place where government will truly, according to the standards of scripture, not according to Facebook and Instagram and all that nonsense and conspiracy theories that... In six months, we'll make an embarrassment of a people. Not that. I'm talking about serious situations. I mean honest evil. Well, isn't that something? Um, I'm talking about real evil. In Daniel chapter 6, Daniel was told by his king that for the next 30 days when you pray, you will only pray for me. And to me, I will be the only one you pray to. Do you know what the word of God says Daniel did that first day? He prayed to God. He refused the authority of the king, refused to disobey God, and he prayed to God. Thanks be to God for the obedience of Daniel, who understood his obedience to God was greater. What about Dietrich Bonhoeffer? Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a man who stood against the evils of Nazi Germany and even to his death did what he could to topple that regime. Jenny and I went to Germany to visit her mother's homeland in 1990. Her mother was brought here as a child by her umma. And we visited with her umma's cousins in northern Germany. and her. Uma's cousin Hannah was married to a Lutheran pastor. And when we were in Germany, there was a documentary on television at that time about the Holocaust, and so I felt freedom to ask of Jenny's relatives all kinds of questions about the Holocaust. And so one of the questions that I asked of Hannah was, what was it like for your husband to be a pastor during the Nazi reign in Germany? And she recounted the story that, Early in the war, two SS officers walked into their church one Sunday, interrupted the worship service, stopped her husband from preaching, turned to the congregation and said, from this point on, you will not hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, you will hear the gospel of the nationalist church. They walked out and said on their way out that they would be back to monitor what was taking place. Her husband turned to the congregation and said, what you just heard will not happen. We will disobey the government and we will continue to preach the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ until we should be arrested and this church would be closed down." And then they went to prayer and asked the Lord to protect them. And I don't know why some were protected and some weren't, but I can tell you this, that through the end of the war, the SS officers never returned to that church and never stopped the preaching of the gospel. He refused to obey the government because he understood that his greater obedience was to God. Now, this all leads me to a final point in this sermon. And the final point is simply this. Live an obedient life. That's what the Word of God is teaching. Live an obedient life. Friends, live as obedient citizens of these United States. It's really not as hard as you think it is, not right now at least. It might become harder in the future, but live an obedient life as citizens. Secondly. Live in obedience to the Lord our God. I love how Solomon says this in verse 12 of Ecclesiastes 8. Those who fear God will be better off. I love that. It's true. Those who fear God will be better off. So be obedient. Be obedient to God. There's one last thing I want to say to you. One last thing. And actually, Jenny said it was the most important thing in the whole sermon. My goodness, I could have reduced the sermon to three minutes. But anyway, this is what she said. She said this is the most important thing. As you live an obedient life, watch your witness. Watch your witness for Jesus Christ. Christians should and must be involved in government. They should and they must be. We should vote. Christians should make themselves available for public office. We need to be involved in our governments at every level, township, borough, county, commonwealth state, federal government. But we must always remember that government and its leaders are not the ultimate answer to society's problems. The ultimate answer to society's problems Well, he has a name, doesn't he? His name is? Jesus. And Jesus alone. The other evening, Jenny and I were watching a program, and Johnny Erickson Tata was speaking. Johnny Erickson Tata was, in the 1960s, uh, paralyzed as a result of a diving accident. She's a quadriplegic, leads Johnny and Friends Ministry for Disabled People, phenomenal witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. She's now 72 years old. And she spoke at this event and she was asked the question, what concerns her most about her future? And she simply said this, I don't want to stain the reputation of Jesus by my words or my actions. Now I'm sitting there listening to this and I turned to Jenny and I said, oh my goodness, Johnny Erickson taught a, of all the people who could stain the reputation of Jesus by their words and actions. And then she just went on and said, I know I'm a desperate sinner. And I know that I could be given to saying things and doing things that would cause people to turn away from Jesus rather than to turn to Jesus. Let me say this to you. Right now, we live in the United States of America where matters in the political and governmental realm have at times caused Christians to lose their witness for Christ by the things that they've said and by the way they behaved. No election is worth the eternal salvation of men and women in our nation. No election is worth it. Do we truly believe in the sovereignty of God? Do we believe that He truly is the King, the Lord over all? Then, my goodness, be involved. Exercise the salt and light influence that God has given us, but watch your words. Watch your posts. Watch your Facebook page, your Instagram. Oh my goodness. Be careful how you behave because you carry the reputation of Jesus in your life. People know who you are, they know who you follow. And you want to always lead people to the narrow road that leads to the one true and living king. And his name is Jesus. Don't take people by the hand, by your words or your behavior, and show them to the broad road of destruction. Make sure that come what may, you are always sounding like, posting like, and behaving like a Christian. One more thing. When and only when Jesus comes again, will we really have a government that is right and righteous? And until then, everything we have will be imperfect. But someday, he will come, and when he comes, He will make all things new. Last night, I made the mistake of saying that when he comes again and makes everything new, I I won't be walking out of the Strasbourg post office saying, I hope the government can get its act together again. And someone walked out and said, well, we even have post offices in the new heaven and new earth. (laughs) Probably not. Probably not. there is a king. And he is coming. I trust myself to him and I know that he alone I know I know I know that I know that I know that he alone is in control that's the word of God hallelujah hallelujah and amen let's pray together gracious Father, how I thank you and praise you for your word today. This powerful teaching that you've given us about government. (laughs) Lord, you have also told us in your word that we're to pray for our government. We're to thank you for them. We're to speak well of them. And so today, Lord, I pray with thanksgiving and I pray for blessing for our federal government, our state government, our county government for the townships and boroughs of our county. For law enforcement, our police departments, for our military every branch, for our judiciary. Lord, my prayer is that these men and women experience the blessing of God because they will come into relationship with you, Jesus. That they will have honest and sincere and genuine witnesses for Christ from those that they intersect with in their lives. I pray that you'll give wisdom and insight to every one of these leaders, Christian or not, that they might lead us for our good and not for evil. I pray that you would do exactly what Solomon requests, and that is that you would give us wisdom, to know at the proper time when to obey you and when to obey the government. We thank you as citizens of the East United States that we live in a free nation where we can actually gather on Sunday morning at 9.15 and worship without fear of interruption. May it continue to be. And may we as a church be salt and light in this nation and make an eternal difference in the hearts of people. We pray this in Jesus' name.
0: Thanks for listening to today's message and choosing to spend some time with us today. To get more information about Grace Community Church, our service times, and our location, check out our website at gccws.net.